Amen. Good morning and welcome in. And if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the table of contents and then turn to the book of Malachi. All right. Turn to the book of Malachi. As we continue our series with God, and this morning we are hopefully going to answer the question of how do we get started. Walking with God, as we've looked at in previous weeks, is if we walk with God and we can walk with God, and if we walk with God, everything is possible and everything is certainly purposeful. And as we've said that over and over in the last few weeks, if you've heard that, you may think, that's, that's great, I'm all in. I'm, I'm for that, and I, I want to get started, right? So our goal today is, is to help us all get started or restart our walk with God. Now, during the first message of this series, we gave multiple examples of New Year's resolutions. Get healthier, smarter, stronger, get more organized to, to secure and strengthen relationships, save more money, get out of debt. And you don't have to say amen, that probably covers most of all of us, of the things that we've said that we want to do for this next year. Here's the thing about all of those. All of those are very easy to understand, but difficult to achieve. Somebody say amen to that. Easy to understand, difficult to achieve. So like when it comes to saving money, when you get your check, take a portion of that check, put it in a savings account, don't touch it. It's easy to understand, isn't it? It's real easy to understand. Or when it comes to relationship, want a better relationship, and you've got a person in mind to better that relationship with, then every room that you're in together, just treat them like they're the most important person in that room and treat them like they're the most important person when they're not in that room. It's problem solved. Real easy to understand, isn't it? But it's difficult to achieve. I read the following this week. If knowing how and why to exercise was enough, we'd all be in shape. So if this is the case, even walking with God, if it's simple to understand but difficult to apply, and even with walking with God, with God, sometimes we know how to do it. We don't know how to get it started or restart. So there's times when we have to dial it back and ask that question of how do I get started because we can understand how to do it and even why we should, but we need to get moving. It's just like Christmas decorations. So in, in December or, or November, and some of y'all crazy people put up Christmas decorations in like the beginning of October. I don't even understand that. But if, with Christmas decorations, if you put those up, a lot of times you'll want to take pictures together. You'll want to put them up and you'll take video. And our family used to do that. And then does anybody take pictures of taking it down? No. You know why? Because we don't want to do it. Uh, maybe that's a business idea that we should have somebody come in and take our Christmas down and put it up. That's actually pretty good. But, but we don't want to do it. And, and so there has to be something in place before we actually get started. If you took one quick search on the internet of New Year's resolutions, you would discover numerous articles that motivate towards a better lifestyle or uh, towards something that is better in your life. But what you're going to find is they're going to have a discussion of something that is immaterial that has to be present in your life before anything changes. You'll read things like you need a healthy self-esteem before you tackle this obstacle. Or you'll see things like you need a perspective of realistic expectations as you are trying to get more organized. Or you'll see things like you need an inner drive or a motivator before you actually begin to think about walking towards the change. These articles make a great point because in order to start something or stop something and be dedicated to it, 
You've got to have an I am compelled attitude to move. So before anything changes, church, I want you to take hold of this today as you are thinking about walking with God. Because if we walk with God, all that other stuff will fall into place. If we are thinking about walking with God today, there is no material movement or change without an immaterial attitude. Amen? Lord, I just pray that you make all this plain. Help me to slow down in my excitement and deliver this message with clarity. I pray, O oh God, Spirit of God, that you would guide us into all truth and bring us to where we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We, we've taken the last two weeks to talk about those who have walked with God. We looked at Enoch and saw how it's possible to walk with God. We also have taken a look into the life of, of Noah and then really talked last week about who we are walking with and the characteristics of God. And this week, the Bible says that there's another group of people that walk with God, and those were the Levite priests. The Levite priests. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says, They passed on to the people, they meaning those priests, they passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me, or God. They did not lie or cheat, they walked with me living good and righteous lives, and they turned many lives from sin. The Levite priests of the Old Testament, they began with Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his sons, and God called them. He saw their zeal for God, and he called them out, and their sons to be representatives, mediators between the people and God. The whole tribe of Levi was to be in part of this where they were ministering to Israel. Now the priests were going to make the sacrifices and mediate between the people and God and the rest of the tribe was to assist them as they did it, to be assistants in the, the tent of meeting. Now the Levite priests, something to understand before we get way into this, while they did walk with God, y'all the Levite priests were just people like me and you. Your, your pastor, your leadership here are people just like just like all of us. And a lot of times here, if you read in the scripture, what you're going to see is that they were up or down, in and out, inconsistent. In fact, what we studied Wednesday night as we were going through prophet, priest, and king, as we looked at Jesus as priest, what we understood was that Jesus is the high priest because all those other guys died because they were people, and all those other guys were making sacrifices for their own sin. So before they ever made sacrifices for the people, they made sacrifices for their own sin. Jesus died not for his sin, but for ours. That is why he is the high priest. Are you with me? And so as we look in the scripture, you'll see how these, these priests, while they were zealous and dedicated, you will often see in and out priests that were faithful, priests that were unfaithful. And it's a wonder why with leaders like that, the nation was so up and down. You see, because no ministry rises higher than its leaders. And those being led often take their cue from those who are in authority over them. And if we lead here in this local church, and by the way, I take a step back and say, if you want to talk about our country for a second, that's why we're where we're at. No, no, no organization is going to rise higher than its leaders. Amen? So let's raise up some godly leaders and send them out. But if we lead here in this local church, we too need grace if we put leader attached to our name in any way, shape, or form. We also need the grace, forgiveness of God. We need to be sharpened, taught, and trained. And the truth is, if you lead in this local church, you're not to blame for every member that loses its grip. And we're not to blame for every, every member that honestly just flat out quits. But the truth is, as a leader, 
there is a significant responsibility to set a faithful example of honoring God and ministering to people. But while these leaders are in place, it was always the priest's job to point them, not to themselves, but to Jesus, but to the Lord God Almighty, that the Messiah that was to come. But while there were instances and stretches of unfaithfulness, Scripture does really give a lot of respect to the priesthood. And, and, and they were historically faithful, consistent, and in fact, they held a reputation for being zealous for God. And so God called them to this ministry. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 9, the Bible says, The Levites obeyed your word and guarded your covenant. They were more loyal to you. Listen to this. They, the Levitical priests, were more loyal to you than their own parents. They ignored their relatives and did not acknowledge their own children. Now, some of us may see that, and we don't like God now because we've seen something that doesn't sit well with us. Just because you read one scripture like that does not discount all the other ones. And the scripture tells us in the New Testament that, that if we don't take care of our own family, especially the family in our household, we're worse than an unbeliever. So that doesn't discount that either. But what it is saying is that the priest had a, such a high view of God that it did not matter if their mama, daddy, child, or relative stepped out of line with God, they would stay in line with God. We all have to be careful, parents and grandparents. If we've taken a biblical stand for a long time and all of a sudden our child decides that it's not biblical anymore, what are we going to do? you got to hear this this morning because a lot of times we have these biblical convictions until somebody in our family is going through it. Now, that doesn't mean kick them out. But it certainly doesn't mean just we just change our belief because somebody we love has changed theirs. The Levitical priest had a really difficult responsibility. If you read in Exodus chapter 32, it's an unthinkable responsibility, but a point that God had to make because that's what His holiness stands for. It's not going to give any wiggle room. And so they chose to be zealous and to honor God. And while they loved their children with all they could, just like we do, they would not step away from God to defend their unfaithfulness. They would stay within that line of reverence to honor a holy God. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 in the New Testament says, If you love your mother or your father more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. This is not a scripture that we post on Facebook. It's not. And in fact, we're going to read another one here in just a little while that I don't think you should post these on Facebook because they need context. You need to provide some, instead of just throwing judgment at the United States of America, well, you're expecting that everybody out there knows that God is sure as love and mercy as he is justice and holiness. Come on now, have some sense when we start posting things. The zeal and godly desire of the priests caught the eye of God to the point that God called them. And then he took it a step further and he made a covenant with these priests, a promise, a deeper relationship connection. And in this covenant, he promised them in this line a life of peace and purpose to this line of priests. So what we've learned of the priesthood is that while we there were imperfect men. Many of them did walk with God. Do y'all know what that means? That means many of us can walk with God. That's what that means. Why else would he be in there? Why would God call us to it if he couldn't see us through it? Why would he do that? 
And so what we've learned, again, with this priesthood is that many walk with them. Now, what we need to see today is how do we get that going? How do we actually get this started in our life? So I'm glad you asked. And I would invite you to turn to Malachi chapter 2, verse 5. Because the first step to walking with God is actually not a step at all. It's a stand. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 5, we discover more about the terms of the covenant. The Bible says, The purpose of my covenant from God to the priests with the Levites was to bring life and peace. And God says, due to his faithfulness, he says, And that is what I gave them. And then it says, This required reverence from them. And they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. Did you see this? Before we are told that they were walking with God, that was to come in the following scriptures, they were standing in all of his name. They were standing in reverence. Before the material movement, church, there was an immaterial attitude. Something that was going on on the inside that they yielded to. Only when we stand in reverence do we walk with God. So, let's talk about what reverence is. What is reverence? We've probably heard that in one way, shape, or form over the years. This reverence that's found in verse 5 is the word fear. It's defined, surely, as an appropriate terror. Now, I'm not going to downplay the word fear today. We're going to hit it straight in the eyes. An appropriate terror. Make no mistake, if we are in Christ, we are saved by the loving Lord Jesus Christ. We are friends of God, but listen, we're only friends of God because He lets us be. We're only children of God because He says it's so. God has all power and all authority. And His holiness and His justice is to be appreciated by those who are His as much as we love His love and His grace and His mercy. May we never forget that the relationship we have with God is privileged. And that we are always subject to God and His authority. The priests were mediators between man and God. Y'all, they had a for real, sure enough, serious responsibility between the people and God. They, they served in the tent of meeting. They made sacrifices. And all of this that was put together, if you look in the Old Testament, it was very calculated and detailed and serious because God is seriously holy. You don't take it lightly or casually. And they had, to, they had to do all these things. They had to wash themselves with water. They had to change clothes. They had to anoint themselves with oil before they were consecrated and began to offer those sacrifices and work inside that tent of meeting. And then they, according to the details of God and what God would have them do, they were to slaughter a bull, a ram, or a goat as a sacrifice before God. Now, why did God do that? I wish you'd have been here Wednesday night. Because God saves through the system of sacrifice. And he was getting this started all the way to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. And, and so this is why he had them offer these sacrifices. But the priests would do this. They, they would slaughter these animals. They would sprinkle blood in different places where God had told them to do it. They would offer this as a pleasing sacrifice to God on behalf of the sins of the people. So these, these priests were slaughtering animals that were dying not for their own wrongdoing, because even though animals can do wrong sometimes, they were dying for the sins of the people. God had them do this. And then after this, they would cleanse the altar, clean it, and then they would do it again and again and again and again and again. 
Why did the priest do it this way? Because God's holy and you don't approach him any way you want to. This is who God is. Because to approach God casually, y'all, is not to approach him at all. We're taking God for granted when we just skip on up into church and drag our sin in here and we walk out with it expecting to pick it up when we leave. See, this is what we're doing. We're dealing with a holy God. And His holiness and justice is as sure as His love and kindness. The Scripture says in Exodus 29, 43, that in the tabernacle that God dwelled with His people in the place made holy by His glorious presence. What is our response to the glorious presence of God? Appropriate terror. Appropriate terror. You know, if you read in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is asleep in the boat. They're on the water. There's a storm raging. Jesus, could you wake up? Because we're all about to die, right? Jesus wakes up. He's teaching them a lesson in faith. He calms the wind and the waves and the storm. Enough, y'all, and it just stops. And the Bible says in Mark chapter 4, the disciples, in response to this, were absolutely terrified. Who is this we are dealing with? Who is this, this God-man? God is holy. And you can't walk with God treating him like he's your buddy from high school. God is completely holy. So you can't act like he's okay when you bring sin along on the walk. He'll deal with it. The Spirit of God's going to bring that up and going to deal with it. These priests did all of these things because God had called them to the purpose. Absolutely. Because it was an honorable position. I suppose so. But they did all of this with reverence because they were, make no mistake, appropriately terrified of God. A healthy fear respect of the Lord God Almighty. Because God told them in Leviticus chapter 10 verse 9. The Bible says if you go into that sanctuary and your mind is not sober, you'll die. That's what God told the priests. Y'all go ahead and drink all day and come in here during the night and see what happens, boys. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not saying that to get a lot. I'm saying this like this is for real. This is how God takes his holiness and glory, how serious he takes it. He's serious because he's holy. Don't miss that. Because God is holy and he relates to people, God will judge. Write that down and take it with you. Because God is holy and he wants to and desires to relate to people, and he's made a way to do so, God will judge. Because he will, the appropriate response is fear. It's reverence to do right by the Almighty God with all power and glory that will judge. At the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, right? Solomon tried everything you could ever try, seeking to be fulfilled in the world. And at the end of his writing in Ecclesiastes, his conclusion was this, fear God and obey his commandments. How come Solomon didn't say, don't worry, be happy? Some of y'all get that. <laughs> how, come, how come Solomon didn't say, seize the day or don't miss out? And we get some of that. But how come in his concluding statement, he didn't say, hey, you know what? You own your truth. I can't stand that. You own your truth. You do you. We don't even know what that means. It just sounds good, so we just say it and share it and post it. Own your truth. Your truth won't save you, I promise you. 
And so this is, this is what we do, though. We, we want it to be this way, but the conclusion in the Bible is, for the sake of eternity and who you influence, fear God and obey His commandments. Because God will bring our every act to judgment. Did y'all hear that? Did I hear that? God will bring our every act to judgment. For the unbeliever, those that do not believe, they will stand before God for eternal judgment based on the terms of God, not based on what you come up with. And then for the believer, we will stand before God for an evaluation of works. Read the Bible in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. We will stand before God to judge. Does this jumpstart our fear? Good. It should. Because God is a relational God, and because He's completely holy, He will serve as judge. So what are you telling us? They lived in fear that God would take them out? No. Remember the covenant promise He made them? Life and peace. Life and peace. Don't misunderstand. God is not vengeful. He's holy. And so that must be respected by His people. His covenant to them was life and peace. But just because His covenant to them was life and peace, goodness... Just because his covenant to them was life and peace, it did not do away with their responsibility. Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Now, here's the one you don't need to post, but you need to know. All right? Luke chapter 12, verse 5. The Bible says, I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. This is not a feel-good verse, but it don't make it any less true. Fear God, the one who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. You know the reason why I would caution you to put that out there in one verse and just post it and let that be done is because the whole story is that the God who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell has actually made a way for you to have life in heaven. That's the whole story. He has the power to do anything he wants, but he chooses to wield that power towards his glory and y'all's good. This is God. And this is the reverence that he is owed. That appropriate, terrifying fear of God is what reverence is. That's how we get started walking with him. Before you walk, you've got to stand in awe of God and recognize who he is and who you're not. Secondly, how do we get this reverence? How do we get it every day? Y'all remember the Popeye cartoons? So it's something to be on the screen here. Uh, but if, if you remember the Popeye cartoons, Popeye was like, there it is. Popeye, this is a weird thing for me. He has big forearms to start with. But he doesn't become this courageous gladiator until he drinks a can of spinach. And once he does, he becomes the baddest man in town. Now, for whatever reason, olive oil is who he chooses to be with, and she continues to get herself in weird situations because of this other dude, and I can't even remember his name. Okay. <laughs> so it's Brutus. Y'all said Brutus. Nobody amens here. We get 100 people saying Brutus. Gosh. So, so Brutus, I guess there's no reason to fact check that one, is it? <laughs> Brutus has, has put her in weird situations. Popeye needs that immaterial movement before there's an actual change. He drinks down a can of spinach. 
Well, reverence is an attitude. Reverence is an attitude. So you can't just go into the pantry or the cooler and grab out a can or bottle of reverence and drink it down and it be there. So how do we, how do we get it? Because again, reverence is an attitude and attitudes are developed. The way you approach God, y'all, is seriously, the way you approach God is likely relative to what you've learned or experienced. What you've learned or what you've experienced growing up will likely determine how you reverence God. Uh, I grew up around farmers. Um, and, and these farmers, they didn't drive a machine that wasn't yellow and green. If you had a machine that was not yellow and green, you didn't have a machine. You had something else. And, and so this, this was almost like when it came time for me to have a lawnmower, I was like, well, i got to have one that's yellow and green because the other ones won't work. This is something that I learned. It's something that I experienced. I, I remember when I went to one time to, uh, to Mississippi, Mississippi and, and preached a Disciple Now weekend for a church over there. And, and we did the weekend, and Brittany and I were there, and then uh, I preached the Sunday morning service. And they were pregnant me before the Sunday morning service, and they told me, all right, so when you take the pulpit, you need to be done by 1020. Which I thought was a little odd, because I was like, does the Holy Spirit not work past 1020? Or? <laughs> so then you, you need to be done by 1020, okay? Uh, so I said to them, I said, I'll start wrapping it up around 1020. They're like, I don't think you understand. You need to be done at 1020. And the reason for that is because they had a live television program. So they had experienced and they had learned over time that if I'm not done at 1020, it's a weird finish to that program when we go into the invitation. <laughs> Y'all, I'm not kidding. 1019 comes. I'm looking at the clock, which really makes for a very effective sermon. I'm looking at the clock, and, and then at 1019, a guy in the back, back here, stands up, walks down, and takes the piano. I'm done. Just shut her down. <laughs> Guys, if y'all want to be saved, you're going to have to do it after the TV turns off because... And what had happened, though, again, their, their attitude towards the approach to service had been determined by what they had learned and by what they experienced. Our attitude of reverence is the same way. I want us to think about Aaron and his sons. Aaron, the priest, and his sons that would be priests, they had experienced the rescue of God's people from Egypt. They, they had experienced God's provision of manna and quail from heaven. They had seen God bust a rotten water come out. They had seen these things. They had experienced God's rescue, His provision, His justice. They had experienced these things. And then they had learned. They had learned about God as Moses gave them the Ten Commandments, as they gave them further instructions about how to act within laws, within each other. And they had learned God's ways. They were knowledgeable of His character. And they had done so together. And those that were Aaron's sons and then those that were to come had seen this be passed down. From those that were before them. Therefore, in their line was reverence. Listen. If we believe that the Bible is part of how God reveals himself. But we don't know the Bible. Then we'll have a view of God based on what we've learned about God. Separate from the truth. So here's what happens with that. We don't know what the truth of the Bible says, but we know a little bit because we're in Christian culture or our granddad's been a pastor. I'm telling y'all, y'all don't know how many times I hear that. Or somebody in our family was a minister, a missionary, and the truth that we know of God is connected to that, but we don't actually know the Bible. So we're going to base our reverence for God off of what we know. 
So we may know that God, or we may think, according to what we've learned, that God is mean and vengeful. Or we may think that God is love and love wins and everything you can come up with is acceptable. So we, can, we think these things based on what we've learned of God. We've learned enough of Him to know that there are these characteristics, but we don't know the Bible and we don't know the truth of God's Word to tell us that He's all of this. And so our reverence is inappropriate because it's not according to the truth. So we must learn who God is. I don't tell you these things today. I mean, it's easier for me to tell you that God is love. I'll just be honest. It's easier for me to stand up here and do that. But to do that would be to sell God short. He, he, because he loves and wants to have a relationship with us, he will serve as judge. If those who are influential during our formative years, think about those that, that reared you. Think about those that have led you into church. If they revered God, if they stood in awe of God, it's likely that you will too. You're likely to have a similar attitude. But it's very possible that you treat the presence of God just like your mom and daddy did. But listen, if your mom and daddy didn't take it serious, then that ain't the truth. You're missing the whole picture. Listen, some of you men, I'm glad y'all are here today, but you're here because your wife wants you to be. That ain't enough. That's not the whole truth of it. And your reverence for God is based on something else other than God's word and experience in you. Think about these things and consider them. I am thankful. I am thankful for godly leaders in my life, men and women, who demonstrated the awe of God, standing in reverence before God, so, so that it would strengthen me. But then I also know that what I've seen before, I'm not going off of my reverence on their reverence. I've got to know God's truth and what He's doing in my life so that I bring an appropriate approach to the Lord God Almighty. I'm, I'm so thankful for those that were strong in reverence in my life. But you know what? The ones that I consider the strongest, they weren't too strong to get on their knees. They would reverence God. I'll never forget. I'll never forget we are in a, a ministry meeting, a men's ministry meeting. I'm like 13, 14 years old. We go to the altar. There's a saint of God that gets up there, and he, we're all at the altar, and he leads us in prayer. And I'm telling you, he couldn't even almost speak. It was fear and trembling coming out of his heart to his mouth. I remember that and how he was praying to a holy God. It wasn't, hey, God, what's up? Let me tell you what I got going on. How do we get reverence so that our Christianity becomes a walk with God. Well, here's the good news. The great thing about reverence is that you don't have to muster it up on your own because God's Spirit is already working to draw it out of you. This, the presence of God is already at work in your life towards that end. The Bible says, when the Spirit of God comes, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. And then verse 13 of John chapter 16 says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. If you're not giving Him enough reverence, He'll let you know. That's what God's Spirit does. Because we are to reflect the image of Christ as we live, not just to be saved and go to church every once in a while. Y'all, if, if we'll be reverent, if we'll be reverent before God and we'll yield to God, as we'll talk about in just a second, all these needs that we have to meet in this church, we'll take care of all of them. If we have an appropriate, healthy fear of God, an appropriate terror, if we have an appropriate reverence of God, we won't be short on any volunteers. We'll all do it. We'll all pitch in. We'll all take care of everything because this is God's church. God's Spirit is how God produces 
a new attitude of reverence. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, He is working in us, giving us the desires and the power to do what pleases Him. He is developing this reverence in our life each day, drawing it out of us. I'm telling you the truth. I don't get too far in my day to where I have to make a decision between faith or feeling and God's Spirit quietly reminds me, hey man, don't forget, you're mine and I am who I am. That happens. Now, it's not an audible voice. It's God's Spirit. It's not like that every time. I type that up because that's what it's like. But it's an inner drawing by the Spirit of God who I know lives in me. And He is working me away from myself and towards the appropriate reverence for God. That happens in the life of a believer. With the Spirit of God, the attitude of reverence and the want to is there. So what do we do? we got to become great at letting we got to yield. We let, we've got to yield to God's leading so that that appropriate reverence of God would be gotten by us. Finally, how do we keep it? How do we keep reverence for God? Because the truth is, more than likely, a lot of us have walked with God, but sometimes we get to this point where we think, there used to be a better day when I walked with Him closer. Or we've done this before, or man, maybe we're, we're right in the middle of it. That's fine, too. And some of us may be thinking, I've never really done that, never really dedicated daily to spend time with the Lord and let Him change me. How, how do we keep reverence? Well, maybe we should look at what it's like to lose it. Because if you read this chapter, you'll realize what the prophet Malachi is doing is he is speaking to an Israel, he's speaking to the Levitical priest about walking with God like they used to because God's getting on them because he made this covenant and now the reverence is gone to sum up over time their reverence and their zeal for what they were doing gave way to going through the motions oh they were still serving they were still making sacrifices on behalf of the people animals getting slaughtered incense going up but it became less reverent, y'all. It became less reverent to the point that it became sinful. And the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 8, they had left God's paths. Your instructions, priest, have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Chapter 1 of, of Malachi spells it out. This is what was happening they were offering defiled sacrifices to God instead of their best. Y'all, the way that they lost reverence was, over time, they began to bring diseased, crippled, and blind animals to the priest so that the priest could make a sacrifice for them. What the pre what's worse is, is that the priests were making them. And they forgot over time that this had been outlawed in Leviticus chapter 22, verse 20. This had been outlawed by God. Listen to chapter 1, verse 12. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at the Lord's commands, saying, the Lord of, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now again, I know this is old covenant. I understand that. The principles of a sacred offering, though, still play. The principles of what we bring to God still are in play. And then verse 14, verse 14, cursed is the cheat 
who promises to give a fine ram from his flock and then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. What God was saying is, Israel, y'all better get this together because my word and truth of the gospel is going out everywhere. And churches like Lindsay Lane are going to start sending missionaries to the ends of the earth because my name is so great, it's going to be worshipped all over this place. This is, this is what was happening. Animals bring brought in, defiled. They were, were less than a true offering. Malachi the prophet is telling these disobedient priests, it's better to close your doors than to offer these sacrifices and to be in this hypocrisy. All right, I'm going to ask you all a very serious, straightforward question. Was there a time when you brought him your best and didn't make excuses? Was there a time in your life when you offered God better time, resources, your life than it is right now? Was there a time when you gave freely instead of making excuses and making excuses like what? I'm too young. I don't know enough. We'll let you know if you don't know enough. Well, I'm too old. That's the stuff we used to do. You can say whatever you want. It's an excuse. Think about all the other things we do. If all the other things we do, if we play that card... Now, if we're going to get up a softball team here, I'm not going to come and recruit an 89-year-old man unless he can flat out do it. But that's not what we're asking for, y'all. We're asking you to consider a way that you would be able to serve the community and your church to glorify God. What have you put your name on? Y'all, I'm telling you, I continue to hear things like this, like we're too old, we're not connected enough yet, we're too young. So what we're saying is there's a better time where we offered God our best and now we're just giving him what's left over. Can I tell y'all something? I'm just going to let y'all know real quick. I've been here like five minutes and I'm ready to get after it. This place has been great for a long time. This is the Lord God Almighty's church. So we're going to make sure that we work to keep it great with our motives intact. So get on board because this stuff's going to continue to be preached, man. It's going to just keep on going. God, I'm not ready to shut her down. We're just getting started. So in order to do that, we all have to consider, because this is what I can't stand. Let me just preach for a moment. This is what I can't stand. Sometimes we want to show up to church, and we want everything to be great before we got there, but we have no interest in making it great. Which one will you be? Was there a time when you brought him your best and didn't make excuses. Yes, we need to achieve balance in our life. We all need to achieve balance in our life. But you know, somehow God gets the end of that balance. We give God what's left over, what we can work in. I, here's why this is applicable today. Because the New Testament says that you and I that are in Christ are a kingdom of priests. So that means we can either be a kingdom of priests that used to be good or are going to be good for a long time. Now, how did this happen? How did they lose their reverence? How did they get off the, the well-beaten path that God was walking? One last thing to know about the priest is they and their families were fed, as designed by God, by portions of meat off the altar. That's the way that the priests were being taken care of. God had ordained this. He put this together. But listen to this. If there were no sacrifices, 
there was no dinner. So, as I understand it in this context, this was a bad economy kind of day. This was high taxes, low incomes, and only the most devoted Israelite would be the one that would bring a sacrifice that was worthwhile. So the priest is put between, they're not bringing what they're supposed to, and we've got to eat. And any time we leave God's pass, it's to go on our own. The Bible says in verse 8 that they left God's paths. They begin to value their own desire above God's and make room for less than what was required by God. They begin to make exceptions. Yeah, that's not what you're supposed to bring, but I know times are hard. And instead of trusting God, instead of trusting God, they said, let's just go with what we feel. Whenever we do that, we leave the path of God. Whenever we want to do what we want to do, because God's word told them, God's word says that it's better to have obedience than sacrifice. You, you can make all these sacrifices, but if your hearts are far from me, then what are we doing? Just as Jesus said, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts aren't even here, man. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh, God. When we leave walking with God, it's always to go our own way. Always. Keeping reverence over time. We talked about what it is that's an appropriate terror of God. And how to get it that we yield to God's spirit and let him have his way. And how to keep it, keeping reverence over time, is appropriately thinking less of yourself each and every day. And recognizing who God is. So before we all walk, we've got to stand in awe. The final verse The Bible says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the immaterial attitude that begins change, real change, in our life. Because only when we stand in reverence will we begin to walk with God. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you all for being here. Thank you for, for giving your attention to God's word. I, I pray if, if God is working something in your heart today, if you know you need to be saved, you're not even sure to know what to do with it, we'll, we'll be right here. We have pastors here. We have people here that want to answer questions that you may have. If you need to join the church, need to be baptized, whatever the next step is for you, maybe you need to be a part of a group and plug into the church. We can help you with that. Or maybe today you want to bypass us and you're going to go right onto this altar and get on your knees before God because God's bringing something up in your heart and mind that's truth and we need to deal with it. Amen? We welcome you to do that because there's nothing being ashamed about getting on your knees. That's an appropriate place for an appropriate response of reverence. Amen? Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that was made for our sin. Oh, God, I pray, oh, Lord, that your spirit would continue to draw us in this time of invitation and decision. Lord, if there may be one or many that needs to turn loose of the pew and walk the aisle or you're on their heart to turn from who they are and turn to you, God, may they come in faith. Lord, whatever our next steps are, I pray, oh, God, that we would yield to your spirit of God to lead us there. And Lord, that we would devalue who we are and value who you are. We thank you 
And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So altar's open for you.